0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: And I sort of feel like in a very unique way that the Lord, through Brother Osborne this morning, has helped to do just that, sort of set the the tone and... uh, I want to I want to go to a familiar passage of scripture in Second Kings chapter six, and I'm going to read a few verses there, and and uh, we're just going to ask the Lord to just do His work here today. Amen. His word is true, and anything can happen. Anything can happen. You don't need to be singing for somebody to get the Holy Ghost. I've been preaching people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that would be all right. To, duplicate that again this morning, the book of 2 Kings chapter 1, chapter 6 rather, 2 Kings 6 and verse number 1, and the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us, or too small for us. Let us go, we pray thee, into Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there. Where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he, he being Elisha, answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore he, again being Elisha, said, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. And so we have Elisha, who is a very familiar Bible character, but we also have... At the center and the heart of this miracle, once again, another nameless and faceless individual. We just know he was just a one of the prophets, the son of the prophet. And so, we're uh, we. Uh, it's not important that we know who he is, or we would know that. But I'm very thankful that God is still in the miracle-working business. Amen. Now I will give you my title, and hopefully, that will make sense in a little while. Amen, I want to just speak to you this morning about the cutting edge, the cutting edge. Amen, and you can be seated. Thank you for your spirit of worship and and your attentiveness to the presence of God today. And Amen, again, just connecting in our first service this morning. What a great word we heard from the Lord. Elisha was not only a traveling preacher, and he was not only a miracle-working prophet, but Elisha was also what we may refer to as the, or an overseer of several schools of prophets. That's what the scripture refers to them as. These schools of prophets were intentional places, intentional uh, institutions where young men that were called to the ministry could be not only trained, but they could be encouraged. And so we know from Scripture that there were many schools of prophets. We have some of them identified in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 of this same book. And so we can find them in Gilgal, we can find them in Bethel, we can find them in Jericho. There were also schools of prophets in Samuel's hometown of Ramah. But I think it's entirely possible and probable that there were many more schools of prophets that we know nothing about because this was a tremendous ministry and they began to see the importance of it. It didn't just begin with Elisha, but also Elijah. They were concerned not only about their generation, but they were concerned about the generation that would follow them. And so they wanted these schools to be available so that every succeeding generation would know the Lord but also be able to understand his word. And so it was with great intention that these schools of prophets were strategically located where people could understand the word of God. And frankly, they could help facilitate, this would help them facilitate the call that they already felt upon their lives. Now, they, they had Bible colleges. This will come as a shock to some of you, but they had Bible colleges when I was a young man. But it wasn't an option for me. Um, my interests were elsewhere. A little bit to the west, a little bit to the north. Amen. My interests were elsewhere. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I am thankful for those that have the opportunity today to attend Bible college. Because I believe that it's the same principle that is brought into our world. Because we're not just thinking about one generation, but we're certainly considering the generations to come. And so I, I don't think that we should, as a church or as a body, I don't think that we should relax and feel like, as long as we're talking about a school of prophets or a Bible college somewhere, that that's something that the responsibilities fall upon somebody else, another set of shoulders, another mind, another set of hands. But I believe that in a large part that this is most assuredly still the commission of the church and not just the commission of certain institutions. Everybody with me now? Amen. As long as we think that all of the training and all of the teaching is supposed to take somewhere else, take place somewhere else, then that kind of lets us off the hook. We let everybody else pick up the heavy lifting. But Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also again i get that paul is speaking to another minister of the gospel but i believe there is a principle that what we have received from the lord that we need to commit that into the lives of other faithful people and let the spirit of god be born in their heart and be nurtured, amen, by the hands of the church. I believe that everybody with the Holy Ghost has an obligation to share their knowledge and their experience with another generation. Don't sit down on what the Lord has done for you, amen. We're made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, but we're also made overcomers by the word of our testimony. There's something powerful about what God has done for you. Now, everybody thinks that the preacher ought to be sharing his story, but but I the preacher believes that everybody ought to be sharing their story because there's something unique about your relationship to people that are on your job or in your family or whatever the case may be. We have an obligation. Amen. Would you feel that word with me? We have an obligation to share those things. Not only do we have Bible colleges in America, but... Of course, the emphasis of Bible colleges has long been the the burden of those involved in global missions and therefore uh, many, many people have been involved and instrumental in starting Bible colleges overseas because we don't want to just continue to send people overseas to propagate the gospel, but we want to be able to impart the knowledge and the systems and the strategies of how to teach and train others there on their soil, in their land, in their native language, so to speak, and culture. And so we are actively training ministries today and ministers today. I believe that it is good to serve our generation. I believe that we have an obligation to serve our generation, but I do not believe we can afford to forget those that are far off, the generations to come. We want to live every day as though the Lord were coming right now, but we want to plan every day like he is coming is going to be in the future. And we want to be ready for and prepared another generation. And so in our text this morning, those few verses that we read, amen. We see where God had blessed this particular school of prophets. And the Bible says they found it necessary. The place he said, this is too straight for us. This is too small for us. And so we need to enlarge our facility. We need to add on. And so uh, the students, they studied together there, especially when Elijah or Elisha came by. And they met him and they sat down so that he would teach. And they ate together. Amen. We read one account of them. We can read one account of them eating in a couple of chapters before Really, um, the book of 2 Kings here, we read a a lot about our text or the context of our text in chapter 4. And then chapter 5 sort of shifts its lens a little bit to the story of Naaman the leper. But in chapter 6, we come back again to Elijah Elijah and the school of prophets. And so here are the sons of the prophets that were sitting before him. And and so uh, he admonished in chapter 4, he admonished them. He said, you know, this is a time of famine. It's a time of, uh, that there's not a lot around us. But he said, we're going to believe God to touch us. And so he admonished one of the servants. He said, I want you to cook a, a, Pot of pottage. I want you to cook some pottage for everybody. If you've read the story, you're familiar with where I'm going. And so one of the servants went out of the field. and The Bible talks about that he gathered a wild vine and that there were gourds and he got a lap full of these wild vines and gourds and he added them to the pot. But unbeknownst to him, these gourds or vines were poison. And so when they went to eat, somebody realized this. And they cried out and they said to Elisha, O man of God, there is death in the pot. If we eat this, we're going to surely die. It seems as though it was almost an everyday occurrence because Elisha just said, well, just call for some meal and uh, some ground up flour. And he just threw the meal in the pot and the pottage was safe to eat. Now that was the first miracle that took place there in this chapter four concerning this particular setting. But on the heels of that the Bible says that the Lord sent a man with 20 loaves of barley and in uh, and ears of corn and he said he said I want you to set this down that the people may eat. And it was here we read about the second miracle. Now this was an Old Testament version of a miracle that was akin to the feeding of the 5000. His servant when he looked at those few loaves of bread and those few ears of corn, he said, should I set this little bit of food, in other words, should I set this little bit of food down in front of 100 hungry men? Is this going to be sufficient? to feed these men. He knew that it wasn't enough food to feed those that were there but he was admonished to set it before them anyway and here is the promise of the miracle. It's all wrapped up in verse number 43 and it says this, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and leave thereof. Amen. Now that's the King James language, but what he was really saying is there's going to be not an only enough to feed these that are here, but there's going to be, there's going to be food left over. Like the 12 baskets of fragments that remain in John 6. Amen. There's not just going to be enough that is sufficient for this moment, but there's going to be enough to take care of them in, in the time to come. And so it seems apparent to me that that there was numerical growth among these young ministers, and that's a good thing. But that new growth brought on some new circumstances, and it brought on some new problems, if you will. As a matter of fact, it brought on some new obligations because the facilities at Jordan, if we're going to continue to grow, then we're going to have to add on. We're going to have to do something. Now, in our day, that would involve architects, and that would involve contractors, and the list goes on and on. But in Elisha's day, it all fell upon the shoulders of the students. And so if we need a bigger place, then we're going to have to go and get the wood ourselves and we're going to build it ourselves. Not only that, but the leader of the school, the Bible says, went with them. I think that's encouraging. He said, we think we need to add on. And so Elisha first said, well, just go. Then you have my blessings and go get whatever you need. And so someone in the crowd spoke up and said, you're welcome to come with us. And like a man of God, amen, should, he said, I'll join you. And he went with them. And it's a good thing because they were going to need his faith and they were going to need his prayer in just not, in just the the near future. Amen. He went with them. That shepherd's heart that was willing to go and not only watch them, but help them lift the burden and carry the burden of expansion. And so they didn't have tools like we have today. As a matter of fact, iron tools were even uh, not only precious, but they were very, very scarce, mostly out of rocks and stone and flint and things of that nature. And so when somebody had an iron tool, it became uh, something of great value. And so that explains why that here you've got a young man that's just, he's just a young man in Bible college. He don't own an axe. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And so he couldn't help prepare the lumber. He couldn't go chop down a tree, but he knew someone that did have an axe. Amen. So um, you know, it's important, to under, it's important to understand that that, that this is a borrowed tool. This is something we're going to borrow from somebody else. And so they were scarce, and they really weren't constructed with the same level of quality and quality control that we have today in the world in which we live. As a matter of fact, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy gave a special law relating to any damage that could happen as a result of an axe head flying off the handle. And so already in the book of Deuteronomy, we've got this covered because apparently this was a pretty common occurrence. In Deuteronomy 19 and 5 speaks about if two men go into the field or into the woods and cut down and if the axe head comes off the handle and it strikes your neighbor in the head and it kills him then the Bible talks about these cities of refuge he said you need to run to that city of refuge until this matter can be settled and so if it was so common that people were getting killed that Moses had to say you know we need to be uh, we need to be forward thinking here And if this was an accident, then you need to go to a city of refuge until court can be held, and we find that you indeed are innocent. And so I believe, again, that must have been a common thing. And so, and, and again, if we think about this, that in the book of Exodus, again in the law, we see that if you borrowed an animal and, if, and if, uh, if you borrowed an animal, then you had to pay that animal back. If something happened to that animal, you had to pay for that. And so if the, if the law of borrowed animals went to the law of borrowed tools, if they were anything alike, then we realize that this young man had borrowed something that perhaps he didn't even have the ability to pay back. And so that might explain just a little bit of the panic. Not only is the axe head lost, but I'm responsible. I've got to do something about this. I've got to replace this. Amen. So without also the axe head, we understand that the work is going to come to a halt. Now, if I could pause here for just a moment and make a point that uh, not only what they were doing was this a noble act, but this was a needed act. They, they weren't just expanding for the sake of expanding. They were looking around and saying, this place is too straight for us. This place is too narrow for us. They weren't marking time. They weren't just trying to find something else to do. Amen. But in the busyness of the task at hand, somehow this young man, again, nameless and faceless, but he's at the heart of this story. Somehow this young man lost focus of the thing that mattered most. Amen. For those of us who have used an ax, there is a good chance that we've overlooked some mornings. Amen. Maybe we felt the axe head getting loose. Can I get a witness of anybody in this house? and you thought well I'll see about that in a minute and we probably have some in here that have lost an axe head and maybe it didn't kill your neighbor and maybe it didn't fall off in a pond but we've all been right there we saw that it was coming but we thought the job that I'm working on the task that I'm involved in I just don't have time to stop I don't have time to slow down I'll take care of this later amen and I will tell you today we while we stood in that familiar place we too made. They have paid an ultimate price I want to shift this now if I may with the help of the Lord Amen. I know that this story has been taught on and preached about and read many many times but I would have to say this to you this morning that I want to just stop and admire this young man for what he did. I, I know that he ignored some signs perhaps. Maybe he ignored a red flag. Maybe he ignored a, something that didn't sound or feel just right. But when he got in trouble, amen, I want to I want to admire him. Amen, maybe for more, more for what he did not do rather than for what he did. Amen, somehow, uh, amen, we just got to, pause and realize that that when he realized or saw that the head of that axe came off that he didn't just continue to beat against that tree with just an empty stick in his hand amen with just a handle in his hand thinking you know what if i just hit it harder if i just work a little bit harder then we'll be able to take care of this and maybe get it down maybe nobody will notice amen i'm going to tell you today that what we need in church when we need the power of sin to be broken in someone's life, we've got to admit where we are. Amen. Whenever we lose the power or we lose something of value or we lose the cutting edge, it's at that moment we don't need to swing harder. We don't need to turn the PA up louder. We don't need to just try to sing the song faster. We need to pause. We need to stop and say, I got to take care of some business at hand. I realize What I'm talking about this morning can seem overly obvious, but I believe that he understood something significant. He realized, I've lost something that's going to help me move forward. I've lost something that's not just going to hinder my work, but it's going to hinder the work. And so I wonder today if each and every one of us could understand the value of when we sense we're losing something in our lives. We understand the value of stopping right then and right there and saying, Lord, I don't want to just keep moving on like nothing is wrong. I don't want to keep moving on like all is well. But I pray, Lord, that your spirit and your help would come into my life. I believe there is a powerful lesson that is woven into these scriptures and into this story that we ought to take advantage of. I believe that when we see we're losing our cutting edge or when we are losing our effectiveness, that we don't need to try to figure out who we can blame that on. Amen. If we if we've ceased and sent something in the church that's getting a little bit cold or a little dying off, that's not the time to take that to a restaurant table and talk about it. Amen. That's time to take that to an altar and say, Lord, Lord, help us, help me. Let me look introspectively. Let me stand in the mirror and see God if I am contributing to this loss. Amen. He called for some spiritual authority. He said, I've got to get somebody. I've got to get somebody here. I know I can't just hit this tree harder with the handle of this axe. And that's not going to be the answer. We can go through the motions all we want. We can plan and we can program. We can have our systems and we can have our strategies. But I'm going to tell you that you cannot accomplish in the spirit by doing something only what you're doing in your flesh. We're going to have to say God, I need you to anoint my mind. I need you to anoint my heart. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I need you to touch my lips. They're just clay. Touch my hands. They're just clay. Touch my feet, God. They're just clay. We can't do this without you. I've got to maintain the cutting edge in my heart, in my life. Amen, if I could be more specific Amen, we, we know Whenever we start losing some few things In our life and there's an answer There is an answer Amen, one of those answers is found In the book of history, the book of Chronicles If my people which are called by my name Shall humble themselves and pray And seek my face And turn from their wicked ways Then will I hear from heaven And forgive their sin and heal their land Can I tell you today That whenever we start going after the the things that we've been doing year after year and we realize I'm not getting the effect that I used to get. It's not time to just try to do something different outside of the box. It's time to say, Lord, let me stop and realize I've lost something in my own life. I've lost something in my own prayer. I've lost something in my own dedication, in my own consecration. i got to start with me. I've got to start with me because we don't need singing without prayer and we don't need music without prayer and we don't need programs without prayer and we don't need teaching without prayer and we don't need preaching without prayer amen we need to sense when we sense we're losing amen the keenness of the spirit I gotta stop what I'm doing and get back to that altar and ask God to sharpen me again amen I'm gonna leave you alone I gotta take me to the altar I gotta lay me on the altar and I gotta say Lord let it began in me. I think it's important that the young man was quick enough to see where it fell. And he was honest enough to take that situation to Elisha. So we can just applaud this young man. That he didn't just try to bluff his way through. He didn't just try to keep on going. But he was quick enough to see I lost it right here. And I got to go get the man of God. And it was here that the prophet of God asked the most important questions that could ever be confronted with. He said, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? Where were you when this happened? I need to get some details. I need to get some details. Just past Thursday morning, uh, Thursday was, I knew, going to be a very long day, a very busy day for me. And so I got up early Thursday morning. My wife, sometimes we have to kind of divide and conquer. And uh, so she left early and went one way and, I was just a little bit leaving just a little bit later than her. And so when I went to when I went to leave the, the house, I couldn't find my wallet. And we are creatures of habit for the most part. I have my wallet. and my wife may disagree with this, but I generally have my wallet in only one of two places. And so when I went to get my wallet in the place number one, and it wasn't there, I didn't panic at all. I just went to place number two. And when I went to place number two, it wasn't there. I didn't really panic, but I was starting to. Because I've got two appointments that I've that has a time stamp on it. I've got to get there. I've got to take care of some things. And so I, I looked, and I wasn't trying to get frantic. I figured out a long time ago that don't help anything at all. That just hinders things, so I'm just trying to keep calm. And, and I'm going through all the motions, but I've got all this pressing on me. Everybody, you've been right there, and... And I know if I don't hurry up and get this in gear that, that I'm going to have people waiting on me. Hopefully they will wait on me. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going through all of this. And when I had exhausted about 30 minutes because I really didn't want to make this phone call, I called my wife. And I said, I cannot find my wallet. I'm not just trying to drag you down the lane of our miserable lives, but I got a point here. And so I said, I've got a problem. I cannot find my wallet. She was just as calm as she could be. And she said, Okay, well, let's let's just go back. And she started asking some questions, just like Elisha was asking. Where where did where did you last have it? And where where were you? And and you know, there's a little cynical part of you that can say, if I knew where it was when I lost it, it wouldn't be lost. But you see, I'm way too desperate. To be catty at this very moment and so she there was I'm very serious about this she was so calm in her voice that it was calming me and then she started talking about the events of the day before and we were together and so systematically she said well what about here and what about there and then she started thankfully she started just deducing this down and she said well remember on the way home We stopped for milk and bread. You went in and bought that, so you had to have your wallet there. So, little by little, we just started tracing it down. And she says, I think I may know where they are. Have you looked here? And they were there. It was there. It was there. And then, when I found it, I remembered all the events that led up to why it wasn't in one of those two magic places. And it was critical. I didn't just mess up. That was my point. It was someone that that didn't just panic with me. It was someone that wasn't trying to, to say, you know, you're just losing it. And, and how many more times is this going to happen? It was someone that didn't start hurling insults but it was a calm voice like a 911 operator on the other end that said well let's just take this apart piece by piece because the most important thing she understood I've got a very long day and I've got some very important appointments and so we've got to get you out the door I'm not just trying to talk about us today are you following me this morning amen the bottom line is this that it was exactly where I laid it down the day before it was right there where I put it nobody stole it nobody was hiding it nobody was doing anything. What I'm trying to tell us today, some of the things we lose in the spirit, it's not the end result of somebody we're trying to pin it on. It's not going to be the blame of this or it's not going to be the blame of that. Some of the things we've lost they're they're laying right exactly where we said, you know, uh, here it is and I'm done. Amen. And it it really causes us to lose the edge in our spirit and now our worship is not what it ought to be and our prayer is not what it ought to be and we're wondering why. Why are things not coming together like they ought to be coming together. I want to tell you it's not time then to try to find a nail in somebody else's closet to hang that problem on. It's time to say God I'm the one losing the cutting edge. I'm the one lost something Lord that's of value. I'm the one Lord that has lost something that's going to help me and so I pray oh God help me to find that and he took that matter to Elisha and Elisha came to the edge of Jordan River, the Jordan River, not the cleanest river. So it would have been impossible for somebody to see the axe head laying on the ground. It was most likely impossible to even reach down in its depth and find it. And so Elisha understood that he couldn't see it. He's not going to be able to fish this out. And so he just picked up a stick and he threw it in the water and there could be some symbolism there but that's not the point of my message today. The point is this is that the man of God responded to the cry, the earnest cry and the plea of a young man that said I've lost something of great value. I've lost something of great value. It's not time for Elisha to come and say didn't you feel it getting loose? It wasn't time for Elisha to say didn't it sound different the last few times you hit the tree? It's not time to be ashamed. It wasn't the time to be embarrassed the man of God just said where did you lose it can I tell you today if we lose your cutting edge don't be afraid to go to God in prayer he's not going to shame you because you hadn't passed or been studying or been faithful amen God is just going to say where were you when you lost it the most important thing is we got to get it back it used to be in your hands and we got to get it back in your hands it used to be in your possession and we got to get it back in your possession yes. hallelujah Amen. And so he threw the stick of the water. And the Bible says in the King James Version that, that that axe head swam. Amen. It came to where he could reach it, it came within reach. And so the young man got God. Amen. He got God back in the center. When he got God back in the center, the axe head came to where it was supposed to be. Amen. Now that's quite a miracle. From a powerful God at the hand of a compassionate service of a compassionate servant. But I think there's several spiritual applications that we can learn from this incredible incident in Scripture. And I believe that one of the first things is to understand is this: that what this young man had was borrowed. I know I've already mentioned that, but what this man had. Was borrowed. Paul said in Corinthians 4 and 7, Paul asked this question. He said, And what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you didn't get from somewhere else or someone else? John, John 3, John the Baptist said, A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. And so, The bottom line to all of this is that whatever gifts we have that was so adequately spoken about this morning in our first service whatever those gifts are that God has placed in our heart we have to realize it's not our own shrewdness that brought us there it's not our own abilities that brought us there it's not because we're such a shining example whatever we have is a gift from God God has given us he has entrusted something of great value to us hallelujah so whatever gifts whatever abilities whatever possessions or whatever opportunities come our way they are are from God it's not because we earned him I don't deserve to be here you don't deserve to be here Amen. I think we collectively understand I don't deserve the blessings of God what I have I've received as a gift from him and ultimately I and everyone in this building is going to have to give an account for the things that God has entrusted us with what have we really done with the things that God has placed in our hands and I'll ask our musicians to come I believe we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of that. The talents. What have you done with the talents? I don't want to bury it. Amen. So this young student lost a valuable tool. But I think it's imperative to understand something. I'm closing, but I'm not finished. So please hear the word of the Lord. This young student lost his valuable tool While he was working for the Lord. This wasn't a misplaced tool in the tool shed. He lost something while he was busy working. I think it's important to note he wasn't playing. It's important to note they weren't goofing around. It's important to know that they were doing something to further the kingdom of God. I believe that faithful service is so important But please hear me today, it can also be very threatening. Because in our service to the Lord, we might lose something valuable. Even something valuable to the work that we're doing. Moses lost his patience more than once while he was leading a nation. David lost his self-control while he was serving as a king. Solomon lost his love for God's instructions while he was doing a great thing for the Lord none of these things happened outside of the realm of these people working for God and so I believe as servants of God that we got to be careful as we walk before him we need to take inventory of the gifts that God has entrusted us with lest we lose something that we desperately need amen I'm going to ask you to stand if you will The good news that is even if we lose something the Lord can help us recover the lost and put it back to work. If we lose our cutting edge God can restore us and make us even as efficient or more efficient than we were when it all began. I know I've already stated this but the important thing to do is to realize, recognize, and admit that we've lost it. This is not a game. And then we need to understand that we gotta get back to the when and the where we lost it. And so if you don't have the passion to serve God that you want served God with, you are the only person that can answer that question. Because I will tell you this, when you get back to it, it will be right where you laid it down. It'll be right at that intersection where you dropped it. And so I've got to ask God to help me get back there. Amen. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says something even that sort of addresses this. Not the lost axe, but it addresses the losing of the cutting edge if the axe is dull and and if, and if its owner doesn't sharpen its edge, then, then it only stands to reason that you're going to have to exert more energy. It's going to take more effort to accomplish what could be accomplished if you were just working with something that always had the edge. Amen. I don't want to try to come before the Lord and just bring Him a blunt edge of something that used to be, but I want Him to know, help us, that we can do Your service and we can do it efficiently. Amen. I want to make sure before I start, I want to ensure. I want to ensure that everything is what it should be. Praise God. I don't want to I don't want to pray about my message between there and there. Amen. I want to make sure this was sharp way before we got here. I want to make sure everything's in place way before we got here. I don't want to wait until this morning to prepare for today. I want to make sure that we got everything where it ought to be. Because you never know when you're gonna to need to take it up again. Hallelujah, take it up again. I think the last thing we should do is use a saw or an axe and then beat it to smithereens and put it up and then, and then think that we're going to have the time to put that edge back on it. We may need it in a crisis. We may need it in a matter of moments. I don't want to be running around looking for something then, but I want to say, Lord, help me to put this to bed. I want to put it to bed sharp. I want to I want to lay down, Lord, with passion and burning in my heart. Praise God. Praise God. Would you worship the Lord where you are today? Amen.